Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, it's here, Halloween. How can you celebrate safely, including at a haunted house? Well, the first thing we did is we removed obstructions. So there's not curtains to push through. We've increased the amount of animatronics, reduced the actual staff of actors in the haunted house. Stay tuned for all that. But first this, cleanup continues throughout the state following widespread damage due to high winds and rain from Tropical Storm Zeta. This includes a trail of toppled trees, damaged property, and homes. Three Georgians died after trees fell on top of their homes. Now, some across the state are also still without power due to the storm. Georgia Power reported earlier today approximately 280,000 of their customers were still without electricity. And officials say they should have it restored by Sunday night at the latest. Hmm. Now, in other news, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is renewing the current COVID-19 restrictions that were set to expire today. The order continues to call on those considered at risk to shelter in place. This executive order is in effect through November 15th. Meanwhile, new coronavirus cases continue to increase across the nation. And now documents obtained by NPR give a clearer picture of hospitalization trends and data. This data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services was previously not released to the public. The report, which is dated October 27th, includes information about cities where hospitals are reaching capacity, including Minneapolis, Baltimore, and here in Atlanta. The report reveals inpatient hospital beds are over 80% full in these cities. Now, this latest data from the Georgia Department of Public Health reveals the number of cases statewide continue to rise. At the time of this broadcast, 356,848 COVID-19 cases in total have been confirmed here in Georgia. Also, 31,516 have been hospitalized, and of those, 5,927 were ICU admissions. In total, 7,923 deaths have been recorded since March. This is all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. The other big story, of course, is Election Tuesday. President Donald Trump is scheduled to visit Georgia again this weekend. Now, for you folks living in Rome up in northwest Georgia, you may see the president because he's scheduled to be there on Sunday. President Trump has visited the state three times since the summer, and former Vice President Joe Biden was here this week. Multiple polls show the race between Biden and President Trump is simply too close to call. Now, in DeKalb County, for the first time ever and in the state, multilingual ballot information and other election-related resources will be available. That's due to a new initiative called the hashtag Dear Georgia, It's Time campaign. And it's from the group Asian Americans Advancing Justice right here in the Atlanta area. 
Joining me now to talk more about it is Stephanie Cho, Executive Director of the organization. Stephanie, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, it's great to be here. Before we get into this initiative, let's just get your thoughts in general about what do you make the voter engagement so far, not just here in Georgia, but nationwide? I mean, we're seeing record numbers of folks turning out in early voting and mailing in absentee ballots. What do you make of that? I think it's time. I mean, I think it's a great um, indicator. I love the civic engagement that people are engaged in right now. And I think it's really hopeful. Um, we have more younger folks that are engaged. We had people who are coming of age who weren't able to vote. Um, we have newly naturalized citizens that are able to vote. We have, um, particularly in Georgia, we have folks that have moved here from other states. So our economy and um, the voters have really changed in Georgia. So it's a really, really good time, I think, for voting, even in a pandemic. We have these record numbers despite all of these barriers. And I think that's a great sign. Well, Stephanie, and speaking of those numbers, and you mentioned diversity, and we have so many different people who are exercising their right to vote, and language has always been a concern, but we still have not, in a lot of areas in the nation, we still don't have where it should be automatic that there these ballots be available in multiple languages. What do you make of that? I think, you know, especially during the pandemic, it really highlights how communication is so vital and important. You know, my child goes to school in Gwinnett. Um, we have an option to be um, communicated to in multiple different languages, right? So in terms of government and counties being able to communicate in different languages, it's totally there, right? But for whatever reason, which we think we know the reason, voter suppression is the reason why in voting, it has been English only in Georgia, with the exception of Spanish, right, in Gwinnett, there has not been any information in any Asian language until now. Your organization, you all have been advocating for expanding the resources available to voters. It may be a small step, but now you've recently partnered with DeKalb County to make this huge announcement. So before we get into the announcement, what was that process like working with DeKalb County elections officials and getting this done? I think it's really um, important to note that our sort of language access uh, champion was Commissioner Larry Johnson throughout this whole process. And I think that that's really helped sort of push through um, this initiative. And I think it is a good sign of goodwill towards um, having more languages um, translated at, um, for future elections. And so we like to see that DeKalb is taking that lead and hopefully other counties will also. But I will say we have asked um, other counties to engage in changing um, their policies and having um, additional languages. And all of them have said no, except for DeKalb. Did they give a reason, Stephanie? They said timing um, was the reason. And I do understand that, but um, I do also know that um, if uh, counties want to make it happen and it's a priority for them, um, like DeKalb, they actually did. Hmm. And so let's tell our listeners what this means in DeKalb County. There's a list that's available with new in-language voting resources available in what languages? In uh, Korean, which is the first Asian language any voting material in Georgia, this is the first time that we have it in any Asian language. It's huge. I know that that doesn't sound like a lot to people in other places, but 
for you to be able to go to the voting booth and see a sample ballot that you can fully understand and then you feel completely educated and to be able to cast your vote is a huge deal. Also um, instructions about um, absentee or instructions about voting, where the ballot boxes are. Just basic information um, about voting should be in languages other than English. So now we have it in Spanish, also in DeKalb and also in Korean, which is huge. And it's important also because DeKalb is likely to have, you know, be a county that would have a runoff as well. Mm -hmm. What has the feedback been so far? You're just now making this announcement, but I imagine not just for those groups, but for anybody who feels that this is a priority. I think it's really um, a testament to organizations um, that have been asking for this language access for years and years and years. I do think that um, counties now have the flexibility um, to enable it. I think counties are also looking at ways that they can um, give more access. And so if that's possible in any kind of way, I think this is the opportunity to do it. Um, Georgia is also known um, as a state that's had a lot of voting problems. So I think any county, I would imagine, would want to do something to make it more accessible if given the opportunity. And Stephanie, does this give you all a little bit of momentum or optimism when you go back to these other counties? Yes, I really hope that this is the kickstart to really lighting the fire on it and making sure that more and more counties are able to do it. And this is a shining example. We can do it in a pretty easy way. It can be done um, pretty quickly um, because most counties have those language resources already. They're just not implementing them in voting. Well, Stephanie, let me ask you this. Do you think this also increases voter engagement among Georgia's Asian American community specifically? It's huge. It's also welcoming, right? To have something in your language that a county like DeKalb has that, that's saying, yes, we honor you and we do want you to vote, right? Mm -hmm. Despite everything else, we do want you to vote. And I think, you know, in Georgia, the limited English proficient rate is higher than the nation. It's 44%. So you have a newer immigrant population here, right? They do speak English, they do understand English, but complicated voting matters, it'd be better in a different language. It's complicated already in general voting here. And so if you have anything that will make it more accessible, why don't we just do it? Well, and to that note, as we wrap up, do you think we'll even have answers, full returns Tuesday? Midnight or do we wake up Wednesday and we're still counting? I think early voting has been really inspiring, but I do feel like we are not going to have an answer um, on Wednesday. And so for us as an organization that does language access, we will be, um, our hotline is available um, after the election because we know that you have three days to cure anything um, that may have happened during um, either early voting or on election day. So we are also out there for election protection. We also are gonna be doing interpretation at the polls too. So, um, because we won that in um, 2018 to make sure that all um, voters are able to have the interpreter of their choice in any election. So I think we're not gonna see a clear winner on a lot of things. <laughs> and so that's the other reason why we wanna make sure that counties and government officials are giving out lots of information as things come up um, in multiple different languages. And so this is a real kickstart to that. And just for clarity, voters seeking multilingual access, those resources will be available come this Tuesday. 
they're starting now. So we have um, a voter, a multilingual voter hotline now um, that's up and running. And so people can call us with their questions. And it's definitely good um, if you have any questions, please call us before you cast your vote. Stephanie Chose, the executive director of Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. And we've been talking about a pretty big step forward in DeKalb County. And for more information, we'll have a link to their website. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Russ. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the monster match. <laughs> it was a graveyard. Still smash. a classic. Monster Mash by the late Bobby Pickett. And here's something else. One of my favorite singers, the incomparable Darlene Love, is singing backup vocals. She was a lead for a group called The Blossoms. How about that? I do love Darlene Love. This is Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. How many times have you heard this from me? Quote, let's be clear. Well, Get ready, because let's be clear, bopping for apples, going door-to-door, trick-or-treating, and bopping to the Monster Mash or Thriller can be difficult to do while social distancing. And that's why health officials are encouraging Americans to rethink the way we're going to celebrate Halloween this year, well, because there's a pandemic. But as we heard from the National Retail Federation last week, that's not stopping Americans from embracing the Halloween spirit. So this year, based on what consumers are telling us, we are expecting spending on Halloween to uh, reach um, a little over $8 billion this year. Um, That's slightly down from last year, but is still a a strong trend uh, given the last few years of Halloween, it's still showing significant spending around the holiday. And when we look at a per person basis, um, the people who are planning on celebrating the holiday this year plan to spend about $92 on average. So, um, you know, up a little bit from last year when we look at what the average consumer is going to spend, but the total number is down because we're just having fewer people celebrate. Well, if you are going to celebrate and if you are stumped on some ideas, there's a new initiative that provides some suggestions and resources for staying safe. Now, the Halloween and Costume Association, yes, there is one, is being provided data from the Harvard Global Health Institute called Halloween 2020. Yes, there is one. And joining me now with more is Dr. Thomas Sai. He's assistant professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And Kevin Johnson, chairman of the Halloween and Costume Association Board. He also is owner of Elope Costumes. 
Dr. Sai, Mr. Johnson, thanks for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rose. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Dr. Sai, let's begin with you because many folks are wondering, we've heard so much about social distancing measures and, and all the health preparations people need to make. Is there anything extra because it is Halloween and we're dealing with masks and maybe folks out in groups that you just really want to hit home before we get into what you all are doing in terms of staying prepared? Right, Rose. I think it's helpful to think about different categories of risk. Um, as true with most uh, public health um, uh, issues, nothing is 100% safe or, or, or 0% safe. It's helpful to think about a, a gradient of risk and how do we layer on uh, different uh, precautions to create the conditions uh, for safety. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, everybody's looking to Halloween um, and, and that's true for, you know, across the country, but we may need to make sure we do it in a safe way. And the couple categories you can think about is what's the risk of uh, COVID-19 in the overlying or surrounding community that, uh, that we live in. And then what's the risk of the activity that we're doing, mm-hmm. um, uh, as well as what's the risk of the uh, specific environment, if it's indoors versus outdoors. So I think if you think about these three different uh, buckets, it's then helpful to think about how do we mitigate the risk uh, based off of the, these three different categories. But, um, you know, it's possible to celebrate Halloween safely. Let me ask you this. We keep hearing, OK, the virus can be spread. First, it was six feet. Then it was like, oh, you know what? It can last in the air through a sneeze for more than eight seconds. Then it was, it could last on a surface for a day or a week. People hear all this misinformation. How would you assess the messaging to folks about staying safe? Because it has changed a lot since the last eight, eight months. And I think it's important to remember that this is a novel or a new uh, disease. Uh, none of us have had any experience, uh, you know, with this. And um, and the scientific community um, is learning along the way as well. So yes, there is misinformation out there, but there's also just the normal scientific process, which is. We uh, keep updating our recommendations based off of what we know in, in real time, what the best information and guidelines are. So some of the changes uh, that are being reflected are uh, a better understanding of how the virus behaves, that it's actually airborne um, transmission that is a higher risk. The second part is, um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, Rose, is that it's important to err on the side of caution. Um, because you know we're still learning about the pandemic and how best to respond to it, uh, we need to sort of take the appropriate safety precautions, um, and that's true in our work life, our, our social lives, but true as we celebrate our, our holidays as well. Because the consequences are profound. You know what's at stake are a potential in uh, people getting infected, hospitalizations, um, and even deaths. And we want to be able to prevent those and be able to um, still celebrate uh, our holidays like Halloween safely. Let me bring in Kevin Johnson into the conversation because, Kevin, look, you're in the business of costumes. You are the advocate for Halloween costumes. What research have you done to ensure folks that while you can't prevent the spread, but you can offer some tips as well in terms of what costumes may may be a little bit safer? Or do you not even want to go down that road? (laughs) Well, you know, obviously uh, wearing a mask is the number one priority for everyone. And there are, are a lot of masks that, I mean, a lot of the costumes that incorporate, you know, face covering masks. We like to differentiate the face covering masks from like the traditional Halloween masks. You know, we recommend that even if you wear like a, a traditional Halloween mask that you wear a face covering mask underneath it. But this year, a lot of, uh, you know, people have designed costumes that incorporate 
a face covering mask into the costume. So that, that would be ideal. Well, one thing I noticed with this website that is really packed with a lot of resources for families and individuals, the first thing that visitors see to the site is this map that breaks down COVID-19 risk level by community. Now, my first question is, where is that information? That information is coming from you all, Dr. Sai? That's right, Rose. So the, the dashboard comes uh, from globalepidemics.org, uh, which is a collaborative effort through researchers at Harvard, as well as the Brown School of Public Health. And what we've done is um, essentially uh, through a convergence effort across multiple different research groups and, and, and policy groups to create a common definition to get everybody on the same page. Um, and uh, what we've done is taken the ground truth data on the number of cases. So these come from public health agencies, um, uh, around the, the country. And uh, we've uh, created a risk level based off of the number of incident or number of new cases per 100,000 individuals in a community. And we have the communities defined by a county, by a congressional district, as well as a, a state. Um, and we're uh, constantly refreshing the data every single day. And Kevin, why was it so important to have, you think, for folks that visit you, you all site? When uh, people visit Halloween2020.org, uh, we've had an overwhelming response from the public, you know, being grateful for a, a resource to, to be able to look at their community, see if they're in a yellow, green, orange, or red zone. And then we list recommendations on how to celebrate safely, mm -hmm. uh, depending on uh, what's happening in your community. So it's it's a, a fantastic resource. And, you know, my own family, we've, we've looked at this site and then, you know, crafted the way we're going to celebrate Halloween uh, through the, you know, using this site. It's very helpful. Well, how are you all going to celebrate Halloween? What are you all going to do? We are going to have a, a Halloween-themed dinner party. Uh, we're all dressing up in costume and each one of the each uh, person in the family is making a different Halloween dish. Uh, we're having a, a Halloween uh, Zoom uh, movie night with uh, some cousins in a different state. And, uh, you know, a, f a few other things in addition to that. But, uh, you know, that's that's the main uh, main part of it. The feedback that you received, Kevin, from folks saying it's very helpful, did it also give them, you also are also giving them some suggestions on, on how to have a, a pretty fun Halloween. With the feedback that you've received, what have they said? Yeah, a lot of people were at a loss. They, they had no idea, oh, can we do trick-or-treating? Can we not do trick-or-treating? Uh, you know, what are some other ideas? And, and we really listed uh, dozens of different uh, ideas on how to celebrate. And that's, that's the overwhelming response especially from mothers, is thank you for, you know, giving us all these different uh, possibilities. We, I was at a loss beforehand. Uh, Dr. Sai, do you, through your experience and as an, ex as an expert, would you recommend that folks, even if they want to participate just by maybe individually wrapping bags of candy, is could that be safe for folks? Yeah, you know, I think it's... Um, uh, possible to make that safe. And uh, mm -hmm. the CDC actually has their own public health guidelines about low, moderate, and high-risk activities. You know, some of the guidelines, you know, in terms of wrapping the candies, making sure you wear gloves, you know, and individually put candy in, in separate bags to minimize the risk of any transmission. Um, 
that's sort of true from a general principle perspective, you know, and, you know, in my own community, you know, I think what we're going to do, um, I have a two-year-old at home is, you know, we're going to do it more as a parade and the parents mm-hmm. will give candy to the kids themselves. So there's still candy involved. There's still costumes involved, but you minimize the risk of that, um, of, of uh, any sort of potential transmission, even while low, just take that out of the equation completely. So, you know, we may sort of walk around house to house, kind of wave high, but sort of mm-hmm. give, you know, put a piece of candy into, you know, into my own daughter's uh, Halloween bucket as opposed to sort of, you know, getting it from a neighbor directly. So it's still social, it's still engaged, it's still, you know, candy and it's still fun, but you just want to do everything you can to minimize any potential risk. Dr. Sai, and I know, especially in your department, you all are paying attention to these coronavirus numbers on a daily basis. But what does concern you hearing that mostly every state is seeing a little bit of spike? And even though here in Georgia, we're seeing we're experiencing a a spike as well, particularly in the hospitalizations. So what concerns you about that? Yeah, that's very concerning is that. not only are the number of cases increasing, but the number of hospitalizations are increasing as well. Um, so we are, uh, you know, we haven't turned the corner. Um, we are still uh, on the upswing of this uh, new phase of the pandemic. So that is um, deeply worrisome. And I think that's why it's important uh, for uh, everybody to take uh, adequate precautions. And the, what we've also learned from the pandemic is that this is very dynamic. The data are changing day to day. And uh, so it's important for parents to kind of keep revisiting, you know, the uh, sources of information because the, the risk levels from yesterday may be different from risk levels today or tomorrow or on Halloween. So it's important to stay on top of the information. The, uh, our dashboard for risk levels that's, you know, uh, linked to through Halloween 2020 is one resource. You can go directly to the globalepidemics.org website where we update the data every day or also go to the public health agencies and the CDC you know, as uh, accurate sources of uh, epidemiology information on, 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 on the pandemic. So, you know, I think we ha- it's things are changing so fast. It's also important for the parents to, to stay up to date with the recommendations and the information. Kevin, let me get your thoughts on this because coming into the segment and we played that clip by the National Retail Federation that despite that we're in a pandemic, Americans were still expected to spend about $8 billion on Halloween-related activities and, and products. What does that say to you as someone who's in this business? Uh, yeah, we're seeing, uh, you know, that it, that a lot of people are, you know, deciding to celebrate Halloween. And we we have seen, uh, I, you know, I, people are spending even a little bit more than, than last year on Halloween. But what we have seen is there's been a shift, you know, more of that spending is done online versus, mm-hmm. you know, brick and mortar establishments. Well, I got to ask you this, Kevin. Now, what's the hot costume ticket this year? We know about superheroes and Disney characters and all that, but was there something new that, that you saw that you all have noticed in people ordering online? Well, I knew it would be a, a big costume, but I didn't realize how big it would be. But uh, Carol Baskin is oh, very popular. The Tiger Lady. <laughs> the Tiger Lady. <laughs> didn't she feed her husband to the... Well, let me stop. I won't get sued. Didn't she allegedly, <laughs> allegedly feed her husband to the tiger? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know the, the truth, you know, what the truth is about that, but... Uh, uh, the, the, you know, some, uh, you know, inferences to, you know, what's happening on, in pop culture are, oh, are really man. hot right now. 
Who knew? Wow. Well, I'll just stick with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which which house are you in? Now, come on now. I'm, I'm Gryffindor. Oh. Come on now. Okay, okay. <laughs> just check it. Come on. I saw I roll with Gryffindor. You know that. <laughs> I'm curious how you're all doing. Are you... Will you have the same profit that you usually have in the, in the last year, in the, in previous years with elope costumes? Uh, yeah, you know, really, you know, de depending on, uh, you know, the Halloween company, uh, those that are, you know, more online focused are, are faring pretty well. Uh, I feel really bad for a lot of brick and mortar stores mm. that, you know, just aren't getting the same traffic that they normally did. And, Gentlemen, as we wrap up and folks are listening to this and maybe you've convinced them to try to venture out or or maybe when they visit Halloween 2020, they'll get some suggestions and tips. But what is that one lasting message you want to leave with them? And Kevin, I'll start with you. Well, I think this year, uh, more than ever, there, you know, there's been a lot of social unrest. And this year we need a we we need to take the time to celebrate to engage with our community and to not think about uh all the swirling news that's been going around for just one day and just take time to be with our families in our community and but to do that in a socially uh responsible way and uh there you know that our website at Halloween2020.org is a good place to start to, 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 to know what, you know, what's best for your community. And Dr. Sai, from a public health standpoint, and I have a feeling what your message is going to be, but also if you could also include the importance of folks understanding which data to pay attention to, because as Kevin mentioned, there's a lot of stuff out there that may or may not be true. Yeah, and I think from the public health perspective is that you have to stay vigilant. And what we've seen is that people are wearing masks and, and you know, in, in the public, but sort of relaxing, letting down their guard a little bit, you know, social engagements at home or in their neighborhood. And that's driving some of the new infections. So it's important to stay vigilant and follow the public health guidelines, follow the objective sources of data, the number of new cases in your community, the number of hospitalizations. Um, through our dashboard or through the local and state public health agencies. Um, and also remember that this is about physical distancing and not necessarily just about social distancing. So, you know, we should be socially engaged for Halloween, virtually, you know, with your own family members. Um, these are all mostly physical uh, precautions to minimize the risk of an airborne transmission of coronavirus. So we need Halloween. You know, it's a big part of, you know, what kids look forward to, and we should uh, embrace that, but just do that in a safe and thoughtful way. Is your little two-year-old going to dress up? Oh, she's been wearing her Elmo costume every day for the last week. So <laughs> every day I come home, I see uh, I think is an Elmo doll sitting on the couch, but I realize it's actually my daughter. So uh, that's just an example of, you know, we can stretch it out and enjoy the Halloween season, you know, but do it in a safe way. All right. Send us a picture of that, please. Dr. Thomas Sai, assistant professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and also Kevin Johnson, chairman of the Halloween and Costume Association Board. He also is the owner of Elope Costumes. And again, folks, that website is Halloween2020.org. You can actually find out the risk level in your own county there. So, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good information. Happy Halloween. It was Happy my Halloween. pleasure. Happy Halloween. They're creepy and they're kooky. 
mysterious and spooky. They're all together okay, the Adams family. The house is a museum, when people come to see them, they really are a scream, the Adams family. Neat. Sweet. Petite. So get a witch's shawl on, a broomstick you can crawl on, we're gonna pay a call on the Adams family. creepiest theme music ever goodness i've seen every halloween movie in this four decade ongoing series and every year i watch all of them behind the blanket i don't know jamie lee curtis had no idea what was in store when she took that role back in 1978 i believe well closer look continues now here on 90.1 wabe atlanta's choice for npr i'm rose scott yes it's the most spookiest time of the year but has the pandemic kept folks away from a time-honored tradition? And that is paying to be scared by visiting haunted houses. Now here locally, the Netherworld Haunted House, located in Stone Mountain, is always a popular attraction. And Netherworld Haunted House did open earlier this month with new safety measures and protocols to keep visitors and staff safe during this pandemic, which as we all know continues. And joining me now to talk more about this and the expected crowds this weekend Netherworld's co-founder, Ben Armstrong. Ben Armstrong, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Let's begin here because, as mentioned, you all opened earlier this month. But at any time, did you all consider taking this year off because of the pandemic? Absolutely. I mean, it was so crazy. I mean, we all lived through our own little stories of this weird year. But, uh, you know, we have a normal cycle. We had begun building we torn apart a lot of the show uh this was in march and then uh we're about ready to go to our big halloween trade show that we're actually a big part of and uh all of a sudden oh is the show gonna happen there's this thing and we're like what is happening and before we knew it that was canceled we had to go on furlough for two and a half months you know Mm -hmm. because of you know everything shut down so we came back to work and we started working but it was like are we going to open? We just, we didn't know. And it was a, a month by month, day by day struggle to kind of figure it out and how it was going to look if it did open. And for the longest time we thought, yeah, we'll open. That's in the future. It's going to be over with, right? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it's not going to be over. Uh, so ultimately uh, we were getting, we were getting close and we still didn't know what was happening. Now we've been working for months on emergency plans on all of our, everything we could do. Uh, we put our plans together. We talked to all kinds of folks, uh, specifically you know, the health department, the state health department, uh, the county health department, ran our plans through them. Uh, they liked them. They gave us additional suggestions. We enacted those. We kept working at it. And then we uh, you know, ultimately decided we we're going to try and open and see how, how it looked. Um, we didn't even put our calendar out because we weren't sure what our days were going to be. Mm. Uh, so we did a couple of sort of test weekends. 
Uh, and then we put our calendar out and we've been uh, going forward ever since. Did you call around the country and ask some of your colleagues in this industry if they were going to open up, they were what socially distanced measures they were putting in? Absolutely. We're very networked with a lot of the biggest haunts in the country. So we talked with, with a lot of our peers. Uh, it's all over the map uh, as far as what what's going on in the different states and different counties and townships and everything some places it seems like uh it's very easy to to open some places it was not even allowed Mm. to happen uh it really was all over the map but generally the folks that ran large attractions were putting into place certain protocols without regard to that you know they they want to be safe you know um in general i think uh all the big haunts are doing no mask, and you got to wear a mask mm-hmm. if you're a customer. You got to wear a mask if you're an actor. Uh, social distancing is critical. Um, of course, hand sanitizing stations everywhere. Uh, pretty much anything you can do, you know. The, and the biggest thing too um, for our attractions is pretty much it's time ticketing. And what mm-hmm. that means is haunts. You know, there's this roller coaster of attendance. Like you know, when you're open a lot, there's days when there's nobody there. There's days when there's some people there those days when it's tons of people there because people come when they want to come it's like going to a restaurant or anything Mm -hmm. else so with time ticketing you know we only have limited inventory on any day we're open so we're sort of able to even out the attendance now in doing so we're sort of deliberately cutting our attendance massively Mm -hmm. i mean uh i don't know what it's going to be like at the end but we probably will have done anywhere from a third to a half at tops of our normal attendance because we've cut it off, uh, mm. which is pretty terrible, actually, but it's better to be open and to be safe. Listen, we understand from a revenue standpoint. Let me ask you this. So in an average year pre-pandemic, how many visitors we estimate would come through Netherworld for Halloween? Oh my gosh. Um, well, you know, it's it varies so much. You know, there could be many thousands of people on a given night uh, that could wow. come through the attraction. There could be wait lines that were outside that could take sometimes even hours for people to go through. But with time ticketing now, you mm-hmm. know, we're just doing a few hundred people an hour the most. So, and then everyone, it's time. So mm-hmm. people don't even need to be on the property. Uh, we encourage them to remain in their cars uh, until a half hour before their time slot. They, they we check their tickets when they arrive, uh, then we allow them, we make sure they have masks. If they don't, we have a mask cart that can supply them with masks. Mm-hmm. They have to go through a temperature screening and symptom screening before they're even allowed into kind of where the queue lines are. And then when they enter the queue lines, they're segmented by the, the two immediate times, the current time and the next time. And we hold them there. And then, you know, we have uh, spacers who are social distancing. We have it all marked. Then they, then they you know, go in an orderly fashion. Mm-hmm. Normally at Netherworld, uh, if you've been there, there's two attractions. You exit the first, you go into a midway where there's all this fun, and then you go to the second one. This year, you just flow directly into the second attraction, mm-hmm. and then you, when you leave it, you enter into the midway areas, but everyone's going in one direction because you're basically leaving, you know, as opposed to kind of a festival atmosphere where people are all over the place. That was my next question, Ben, because I'm sure some listeners are wondering, how are you planning to control that in an environment like a haunted house, pre-pandemic or not, with social distancing measures? And folks tend to want to cling to each other. Or is it an anti-clinging 
measure also? I mean, you know. <laughs> if we put in these static sheets that cost now. Um, so what happens is uh, previously we'd let a certain amount of people in on, on a time clock, you know, X amount of seconds, X amount of people. But now we allow in only the people who came in naturally occurring groups. So let's say there's two people that came, mm -hmm. the two of you go in alone. Okay. And then, you know, after a certain, after you get to a certain point on the cameras, we'll then allow in the next group, which could be four people, which could be six people. But it's all the groups that came together. Okay. So they're spaced out in that regard. And then in the haunts, you know, there's people that go slow and then people bunch behind them. And there's also people that want to push together. So we have people there in the haunts that we have ushers that are located to basically people take their mask off they have a sign put your mask on they have a sign for social distancing and they'll interact with the customers to remind them you know to keep us to safe social distance folks are screaming because you're scaring them and how different is this netherworld haunted house itself in the past you've talked about you know the different areas but is this really a have y'all designed this that is totally different than the other ones in the past well, there's a lot of things. And of course, every year the themes change. Mm -hmm. So the show is different based on the storyline and the characters and some of the scenes. But as far as these sort of things, well, the first thing we did is we removed obstructions. So there's no, there's not curtains to push through. There's not things. I mean, we basically made the path very clear. Mm -hmm. Used to there would be airbags that might envelop you, you know, feelings of claustrophobia. All that stuff has been removed. So that makes it quite a bit different. Um, we've increased the amount of animatronics, which are, you know, animated creatures mm -hmm. and stuff. We've reduced the actual staff of actors in the haunted house. Now there's still sufficient actors to entertain the level of customers that are going to be in there because they're, like I said, there's far fewer customers in the show, but a whole other side of the coin that we had to look at was our staff. So even though we have a really, a very spacious and well-appointed backstage area, uh, we were concerned with how many of our actors would be backstage to get ready. So mm. we limited our attendance to accommodate that element as well. I mean, we have a lot of protocols in place there. We have uh, all our different departments. Our, like We always wash the costumes every night. Mm -hmm. um, we're always big on cleanliness. But now also every single actor has a unique costume to them that is also washed every night, but it's also unique to them. Just another thing we're doing you know, to keep things safe and clean that the way that they we route them through the departments we mm -hmm. we even we we got these we you know, the backstage area is completely air conditioned um but there's a thing called economizers that are built into the, our air conditioning system when we moved into the building we had to install these because for our occupancy and what they do is you know if there's a co2 level detected they bring in fresh air mm -hmm. we actually had them modified so we can manually bring in more fresh air automatically so we're creating more fresh air in the building we we got hepa filters for the backstage areas um you know just mm -hmm. everything you can think of is what we're doing and pretty much to uh to keep it safe and how often will the house itself be sanitized each night after you all close and early in the morning before visitors get we have there? uh we have we have crews uh cleaning crews that are both outside the building and inside the building and they're in the haunted house as the patrons are there constantly what they're doing is any surface anyone is likely to touch they're constantly going through with wipes to clean it up um, certain areas will shut down for a number of minutes 
every say half an hour to wipe those areas down that's done constantly uh at the end of every performance we come in with foggers that spray uh sanitizing spray and they fog the entire haunted house uh every single night as well in addition to you know the the touch cleaning that they're doing constantly throughout the evening well ben here's a question how has attendance been so far you did talk about that it's not the the normal numbers you're used to seeing but what's the feedback been like from the visitors the guests actually it's extremely positive on two levels okay one i think a lot of the people coming really appreciate all of the things that we're doing i mean when you arrive there's there's so much signage there's so much visible uh you can see how how much uh, we're going overboard for safety. I think a lot of people appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You'll still get the occasional customer that's kind of wanting to take their mask off or doesn't want to play along, you know? Um, And we, you know, we have to convince them that it's the right thing to do. But uh, in general, people are very receptive to it and they've been great. Um, And they'll, they'll obey the rules and they'll do all the things. Uh, But they also really, they really like, there being less people there, you know, they're, they're enjoying the fact that it's less crowded, that they can, you know, look around a bit more. They're, they're not quite as, there's not as many people there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, with any popular event, I mean, take say Disney world, for example, you, know, you go to Disney world and you have these great stories, but the biggest challenge at Disney world is the amount of people that go. So this year at Netherworld, you know, that's, that's really not the challenge. So uh, I think people like that aspect of it greatly. Before I let you go, any insight about some of the, the haunts that people might see or you want to keep that under wraps? Oh, no, I'll be happy to tell you. Um, so our primary attraction is called Halloween Nightmares, and the entire theme is Halloween. So th- the whole setup is like a retro Halloween feel. There's pumpkins everywhere. Um, there are these bat creatures that have come from beneath the earth, and they're disguising themselves as trick-or-treaters, and they're kind of attacking this town on Halloween night. So there's bad creatures that fly overhead. There's lots of weird trick-or-treaters, lots of classic monsters. And you'll feel this theme as you head outside. Uh, when the show's over, there's our whole midway area is decorated with all kinds of pumpkins. We made these gigantic pumpkins uh, as well. And huge, more huge monsters than you can imagine just just beautiful photo ops to walk amongst and take pictures. <laughs> it feels like Halloween. But the minute you get out of that show, you go directly into cyborg shock. And it's sort of a science fiction uh, robots in a rampage theme. So it's very <laughs> aggressive, you know, loud. There's gigantic robotic creatures. There's just all this crazy science fiction stuff. And so you be, you go through these two attractions. You come out to kind of a science fiction looking midway right where our laser tag arena is. And then uh, you can make your way through the Festival of Monsters and then into our main midway area. And then, you know, we have souvenir photos. We have our massive gift shop. We actually closed it because mm-hmm. it's inside and there's sure. so many things people want to touch. So we have sort of a uh, an outside gift shop hut, if you will, that features all the things you might want, you know, like the shirts and things like that. But it doesn't have the expansive array of normal things that we have but uh people are still loving it ben you co-founded netherworld in the late 90s did you have any idea that you'd still be going strong here we are. well i know you didn't have any idea about a pandemic but now in 2020 that you y'all would still be going strong you know we you start with all these crazy ideas uh, about what you think is going to happen and they change a lot over the years i mean 
in the beginning, we thought, oh, this is going to be a huge success and we're going to have one in every at every town in America. Of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> it took a lot of years to really get our feet under us and to be, you know, what would even be considered successful. A, a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of support from our customers and fans. But we finally were able to be, you know, quite successful and we're one of the most well-known attractions in the country, which is, it's, you know, somehow we did some, right, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then the last couple of years have been particularly interesting because, of course, we moved from our longtime location mm-hmm. to Stone Mountain where we bought the building and the property. So that was a massive undertaking. Uh, but it, it took a lot of years of hard work to get to the point where we could do that. And now we're settling in. It's, it's been great. And Ben, if anyone has any more questions and concerns about the safety and all the COVID-19 preparations. Can I get this information on your website? Absolutely. Uh, if you want to know anything about what we're doing, go to our website, which is at fearworld.com. There's an extensive listing of all the COVID things we're doing. Gosh, there's been so many different media reports. You know, you can just Google around. Uh, we've been on a lot of different shows. Of course, everyone's interested in this aspect of it. And I completely understand because, you know, it's hard to think about going out um, after, you know, what we've been through and there's, there's concerns that people have, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, it, it really is nice though, to be able to get out and to see this stuff. And it's a haunted house can actually, I think do it because unlike say a big festival where you're just in this mob, you know, you're coming, you're with your group, you're kind of in lines, you're with the attraction, you know, it works, and uh, I think people will, will enjoy the opportunity to get out, to enjoy the Halloween season, and to have fun, and, and to keep the their tradition of going to Netherworld alive. That is, if they can get a ticket. They better go quick, <laughs> because, uh, like, I was looking, uh, m- most of Friday and Saturday are, look, are looking to be sold out. So today's a good day. Um, Sunday, we're also open two weekends in November as well. Ben Armstrong, one of the co-founders of Netherworld Haunted House, talking about the COVID-19 procedures and preparations and safety conditions and all that. Ben, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you as well. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by the spookiness of Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our program is cooked up in the bubbling cauldron of engineer Shelley Canavy. That's all I got. Grace made me say that. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look and available as a podcast on your favorite player. Have a safe and happy Halloween, everybody. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Ross Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. 
New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.